Hello and welcome into another episode of Gifted Kid Messy Adult, the podcast where potential went to die. I am your host, Ellie Michaels. I use she, her. And I am your host, Jessica Michaels, and my pronouns are she, they. And today we're talking about habits or the lack thereof. What do I mean by that, Jess? One of the things that humans need to do in order to do the things that they should do is develop a routine of like good things throughout the day. Like brushing your teeth every day would be a habit, for example, a good habit. Getting dressed every day for work can be a good habit. You could also have bad habits and bad routines like eating a sleeve of saltine crackers every night at one in the morning would be a bad habit. And people who are neurodivergent- Is that why we're out of saltines? Yes, but I just bought the ones now that have the little sleeves. So I'm trying to modify my bad habit into something less bad. Okay. I'm just, I'm just glad I actually bought those because I thought I was having like some false memory Manchurian stuff here. No, you bought them. I ate them. And that's, that's that. Uh, which also brings me to hyperfixation. Sometimes neurodivergent people have something that looks like a habit called a hyperfixation where your brain sort of gets taken over by the urge to do something. One thing, it could be playing a certain video game. It could be eating only a certain food. It could be a certain hobby that you do intensely for a period of time and then drop and never want to do it again. Uh, And so all of those things kind of combine together to make forming habits and having habits kind of a minefield for neurodivergent people. And that's one of those things that can make you feel just super weird or super bad about yourself. Like I can't do work, but I can play 16 hours of Starfield or I can't, uh, sometimes I, you know, I'm so into exercise. It's all I want to do. And I work out for three months at a time. And then all of a sudden one day, I'm just the laziest person on the face of the planet. And those types of things can really mess with your head. So when they say that ADHD meds are habit forming, is that just... (laughs) So here's the thing with ADHD meds. A lot of ADHD meds are stimulants. So if you think of caffeine as a stimulant, um, you might have also heard a joke that, oh, they just feed ADHD people meth. And that's not quite what we're doing, but they are addictive substances. But many ADHD people like me, for example, have a problem where I don't remember to take my ADHD meds often until it is too late in the day. The medicine I'm on, Vyvanse, is like a 16-hour pill. And so I have to take it pretty early in the morning. If I don't, then I sort of miss the window where I can take it. And so I don't take my ADHD meds every day because I forget. And then some people have to take their medication a couple times throughout the day, which is just Like, who does that to an ADHD person? That's just, that's ridiculous. So I think the people least likely to get addicted to ADHD meds would be people with ADHD. Plus, addiction implies that you're taking it for some other purpose other than what it's intended. ADHD people might become physically dependent on their medication because the world is better with it, but that's not 
the same as addiction, which is taking it uh, for a purpose, you know, like to to get high or to study really well, you know, is, I think people tried to take it in college to do that. So yeah, it's a whole thing, but no, it's, it's not as dire as the news I think would make it sound. Plus there's a shortage right now. So nobody can get their hands on ADHD meds. It's like that, that picture of the plane load full of uh, people in their fursuits. It's like, I don't like this idea because if this plane went down, half of the U.S.'s tech infrastructure would be completely screwed. Like the lack of ADHD meds has screwed up the lives of every single person I know. And we're all in tech. Mm-hmm. But hang on, let's let's backtrack for a second, though. What, uh, As far as I understand it, a habit is a pattern of behavior that you follow that you don't actually have to think about. Mm-hmm. So like for apparently for neurotypical people, they wake up and shuffle into the bathroom and just start brushing their teeth and stuff without actively thinking about it. Whereas every day of my life, I've had to wake up and go, okay, I got to go floss and then rinse my mouth with the mouthwash and then take the, the toothbrush off of the stand and then put the toothpaste on the toothbrush and then start brushing my teeth. I'll start on the left and the bottom and then work like it is all things I have to choose to do. Like now I, I mean, now I know why you're so crabby in the morning. Well, yeah. And then I got to remember, you know, like, okay, two, two teacups and then like put your tea in the one on the left and then my tea in the one on the right. And if I don't, you know, pay attention to that, I'll screw them up and then hand you a pumpkin spice and then start drinking a peppermint or a blueberry, depending on what they, you know, we have in stock. What you're saying is you don't have this muscle memory developed every step of these things that are habits for a lot of people you have to think about. You have to. Absolutely. Okay. And if I, if I don't remember to do that, I can straight up forget. It's not like I just like wake up and do these things. I wake up and choose to do these things. And sometimes I forget things because ADHD go burr. And I know neurodivergent people often have difficulty with hygiene related tasks. Like oh, yeah. I've had showering. I've had to white knuckle my way into decent uh oral hygiene these days. Uh just pretty much it's gonna it's gonna hurt it's every morning it's gonna hurt and that's just what happens because i had that uh <laughs> i had i had the classic lower class thing where i suddenly had dental insurance after not having it for like 10 years and then the doc the dentist was just kind of looking at me with the money signs in his eyes uh and then we did uh what was it like four hours of work on my face like they knocked me out for it and everything or they tried to knock you out yeah, not another fun uh, neurodivergent thing. Drugs don't work like normal on a lot of us. So they have a lot of trouble putting me out for surgeries or operations and painkillers really don't work for me. So they had this whole thing set up where they're like, okay, someone has to pick you up and we're going to put you in a wheelchair and we're going to roll you out to your car. We're going to pour you in and make sure that the person can help you into your apartment, your house or whatever. Uh, and then after four hours of being they, did, they didn't actually knock me out. They uh, twilighted me with narcos and benzos. So like basically just about overdosing, but not quite. <laughs> Dude's even like, yeah, we have the Pulp Fiction syringe of uh, adrenaline here uh, just in case we need it. And they wake me up after four hours and I was just like, oh, all right, I'm awake. Where's the bathroom? Gotta go. Yeah, I walked in expecting, you know, them to wheel you out and you're just wandering around the dentist office. Yeah. So- I think that 
you know, one of the things that makes it difficult for ADHD people and, and not just ADHD, we're saying that a lot, but so many parts or, or uh, signs or, or characteristics of neurodivergent people are the same, regardless of what part of the neurodiversity umbrella you might fall under. So we say uh -huh. ADHD, but this happens with autistic people. This can happen really with any, any category of people uh, within, within that, that umbrella. But with neurodivergent people, often we are very motivation oriented. We're kind of instant gratification people. And there isn't necessarily gratification. Like Brushing my teeth, yeah, my teeth are clean, but it's not like I win the lottery at the end of brushing my teeth. Like if I could play my video game for another 20 minutes, to me, that's gratification. You know, that is mm -hmm. something I'm motivated to do. But these hygiene tasks, they're not fun. And like you broke it down, they can include a lot of steps that you have to follow. You think, oh, it's two minutes to brush my teeth. No, that's like, 12 steps. And so sometimes that can be super overwhelming. Other times it just doesn't enter into your memory as something you need to do, or mm -hmm. it's just not compelling enough to be a thing that you, that you need to do. So I think all of those things make it difficult for neurodivergent people to latch onto those things as a habit, which really sucks because one of the first things that any coach or anybody who's helping you with productivity, you know, when you're trying to develop a new habit, like a healthy habit, they try something called habit stacking, which is, okay, you take something that you are already doing as a habit, and then you just attach something else to it. So you brush your teeth every day, so you should immediately drink 10, you should, should drink 10 ounces of water once you brush your teeth. But the problem is that if you don't have the habit of brushing your teeth, then trying to stack another good habit on top of it is pointless because you don't have anything to anchor that to. So it makes it's it- not a, a habit. It's just another thing I have to remember to do because every task is not one task. Every task is a dozen little tasks. Take the toothbrush off the stand, turn on the water, put toothbrush head under the water, pick up uh, toothpaste, open cap, put a little bit of toothpaste on the toothbrush. That's too much toothpaste. Now try to get it back into the thing. Think that's probably actually gross. You're not going to do that. Put the thing deck. To, you know, it's it's this ongoing onslaught and not just like standing there blearily just doing the thing. It's It's like for every task, it's not just a task in itself. It's this formula it's this formulaic breakdown of it's like like a mathematical equation that has to happen at every single step of what you need to accomplish so for people who are neurodivergent nothing is simple because everything breaks down into these multiple components that you have to follow and it's very easy for your brain to go that's a hundred things i'm out Mm -hmm. Instead of going, oh, I just need to brush my teeth and, and drink this glass of water. So, but what is really crazy, I think, is on the other side of that is hyperfixation, which is another thing that's related to habits or what look like habits, which is where we essentially get 
kind of addicted to doing one certain thing or eating something. There's just something that triggers dopamine for us without rhyme or reason. And we can do that thing almost to the exclusion of everything else. I wouldn't say almost, it's like straight up to the exclusion of everything else. Like, I mean, Starfield dropped and I don't think I wore clean socks for the next like three or four days. And not because I was like being gross or goblin mode or whatever the hell. It just didn't occur to me. Like, I am busy exploring the mysteries of the universe, you guys. I do not have time to change my socks. I could see that being deceptive because like, oh, you have this habit. You have this ongoing compulsion to do this thing. But that ends. It stops. It's Hard. the least it's the least favorite thing about a hyperfixation is because you get into the thing and you start learning about the thing and then you invest money in the thing and you order more supplies and tools and you really get into it. And then after a while, the the gremlin in my brain just goes, mm, we're never going to touch that again. And it no longer gives any joy. It no longer holds my attention. It's no longer something I have any interest in doing at all. And then something else comes up. <laughs> And the time between dropping one and pick up, picking up a new hyperfixation is like, it's it's horrible void. <laughs> it's like being shot out an airlock into space. Like, well, I guess something's going to happen eventually. Uh, and then, you know, eventually another ship picks you up. But that time in the middle where you're just like, I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, it's, it's the worst. I hate it. So I know you have had video game hyperfixations. What, what other hyperfixations, like key hyperfixations, can you think of that you've had? I have managed to wrangle a handful of hyperfixations into what people would probably consider hobbies, but they rotate randomly and not based on what I want. It's like my musical taste. I have no control over what kind of music I want to listen to. The ADHD gremlin in my head decides that. So I'm always worried that someone's going to mock me for my bad music taste. But like... Oh, I mock you frequently for your bad music taste because well, yeah, because the musical saw is only <laughs> half right. That is not a thing. And if you're if you're listening to something called Neutral Milk Hotel, it's a classic classic album, and I do not appreciate. It. <laughs> please don't do that to the people around you unless you hate them because it it really is cruel but hyperfix never gonna be the queen of carrot flowers <sighs> so hyperfixations back to back oh, to the yeah. question right. uh so 3d printing is one um model building specifically uh gundams uh video essays uh i spent a few months deep diving into a handful of uh mythological references in star trek and making like video essays where like uh, specifically the the short trek calypso was like a retelling of odysseus's time on ogaigia with the nymph calypso uh and so i spent about a month researching that and learning how to do video editing and putting together quotes and images and learning how to uh move stuff around in a video so it looks kind of interesting and then i haven't really done one of those since I did a, I had a, a long stint of doing uh, uh, customized like t-shirts using uh, stencils and bleach. So I wasn't really like screen printing. I was more like screen bleaching stuff, uh, which is actually really nice for uh, neurodivergent sensory issues because if you bleach a stencil onto a t-shirt, there's no texture. So there's no weird like raised bumps and it's not scratchy. 
it will kind of destroy the fabric after a while, but yeah, comfort. I don't know what yeah, you live with me. What else do I, I don't know what I do. That's pretty good. I think that's a pretty good assessment of the types of hyperfixations you go through, but you don't really do food hyperfixations as much from what I can tell. I do not. It's, it's not so much the eating as it is tends to be the cooking where like, I, I realized uh, I've I've been able to make like a two ingredient flatbread for years. It was a Jamie Oliver recipe. It's like equal parts self rising flour and full fat Greek yogurt, and put those together, mix them up into a you know a dough, and toss that on a griddle. It makes this really really tasty kind of flatbread thing. And I realized like a month or two ago that I could make a that into a pizza. And so for, I think like two weeks, we kind of had pizza like every other day, just because I kept wanting to screw with the recipe. Not every other day, babe. We had pizza, lunch and dinner every day. Well, only for like a week. But I just want we to get a clear picture of, we even tried to make it with vanilla yogurt once oh, because that that's all work. we had. That did not work. That was not, that was a poor choice. We had to do it once to see if it worked. The answer was it did not. And Mm -hmm. now we know. Now we know. Yeah, I've got, I think my hyperfixations are often around food, which is one of the reasons I've had a weight problem my entire life is because depending upon what it is, if it's something unhealthy or something healthy, I will only or can only eat one thing. And so if it's Cool Ranch Doritos and I don't have Cool Ranch Doritos, I'm going to try. My body is going to desperately try to get my to get to feel the same way Cool Ranch Doritos make me feel. And so I'll eat. I'll just be driven to eat everything that isn't a Cool Ranch Dorito but it's never going to, because it has nothing to do with whether I'm hungry or not. It's just, I just am chasing that, that high of cool ranch Dorito. And then if I get cool ranch Doritos, I cannot possibly get enough of those, you know, because it just makes my brain happy. And it's the only thing that sort of calms it down. And that is problematic. But then on the other side of that, sometimes if it's uh, bananas, and all I want are green bananas, and I eat green bananas all the time, that's not super healthy either. So my weight goes up and down a lot based upon whatever my hyperfixation food is. And so that's definitely a problem. Why are you giggling? You're gi- I can see you giggling. It's an audio medium, but I can <laughs> see you giggling at me. Why are you giggling at me? If, if, if all you eat is bananas, then that poop is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. It's bananas. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll go. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, most of the time I'm happy I ask what is on your mind. <laughs> but every so often, every so often I'm reminded that that's not necessarily a sure bet. Okay. No, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. I love you anyway. Um, (laughs) But I've had hyperfixations like buying books is a big hyperfixation of mine where I just need to assess all of the books 
that are available and buy whether it's audiobooks or whether it's books on a particular business topic, that is something that just will feed my soul. It's not necessarily reading the books, it's buying the books. That is the thing that I want to do. Um, or it could be jewelry making. I was into jewelry making for a while, bought several thousand dollars worth of jewelry making supplies and then stopped making jewelry. But then you eventually, we kept that big crate around for a long time, mm -hmm. but eventually you got into jewelry making. And mm -hmm. so that was good. That was good. I kept putting holes in my face and ears and stuff. And you can, you can put pretty sparkly things in there and uh, they, they're, they're pretty and sparkly. Mm -hmm. It's over there. Little box, uh, not, not a little box. It's a, it's a decent, really heavy box right over there full of uh, bajillions of charms, apparently. Yeah, because you, when you're in a hyperfixation, part of the dopamine hit is acquiring the things that you need to do whatever it is well. Some people can just, you know, maybe buy some basic jewelry making supplies and, and make their jewelry, but it's much more common among the people I work with and me where it's like, okay, I'm going to make jewelry but part of the thing that calms my brain down is I need charms and I need beads and I need, oh, this type of hook is better than this type of hook. So I'm certainly going to buy the better things. And, oh, I need lessons and I need videos. And so acquiring the things that you need to do the thing becomes part of the hyperfixation. It does a few things. So for me, it can soothe my brain where if I have anxiety, if I'm upset, or if I'm anxious, it, it can't, it's almost like numbing, you know, like putting numbing medicine on something that really, really hurts, right? It just cools mm -hmm. it off. It calms it down so that I can, I can breathe again, right? It sort of, it reduces my anxiety, um, but also it is, it can cause anxiety too, because uh -huh. I'm spending money. I know I shouldn't be spending money, um, uh -huh. but I'm spending money on this thing. Um, and I have other things to do. I know I have other things to do, but the only thing I can get myself to do is do this hyperfixation habit. It's not like I don't know that I need to be sending resumes out or um, cleaning my little, uh, my this little disaster. disaster. Yes, disaster area that I have right here because I can only do the hyperfixation thing because that's what makes it an executive function challenge or problem is your brain is only motivated to do this thing. So it's the only thing it will let you do no matter what you want to be doing. So it isn't like I could be doing other things instead of this. It's like, this is the only thing my brain is going to let me do no matter how desperately I know I need to be doing something else. Exactly. It's exactly that. Like literally it's like, I'm a, I'm in a circular room with a dozen doors all around me. And I go, Oh, what am I going to do today? Well, all of those doors are locked shut except for that one. So I'm going to go through that one, or I'm going to sit here and do absolutely nothing. Um, I think, I think the weirdest one was probably like back in the early days of like, well, piracy basically where like before torrents, when you like LimeWire, like Kazaa, like, like, like Napster, like I'm after a single file. And so, uh, 
you, you wouldn't get like a whole album. You would get a single. You would get a not even like a single from a store where it's like the song you want and then like two random songs. It's just that one song. And so I spent a goodly amount of my high school years assembling albums out of individual pieces. And then like for some reason, I, uh, Elliot Smith, I hyperfixated on a goodly while. Uh, so I, I had... was real worried about you with all that Elliot Smith. You were listening to a lot of Elliot Smith when we got together. And I think I did I straight up ask you if you yep. were a heroin addict? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did. I was really concerned uh, when we when we met. So I'm, I'm glad you've moved off of the Elliot Smith. Well, it's because in in the before times, my favorite genre of music was uh, a guy with a guitar who seems to be upset about something. And that usually turned out to be heroin. And now it's kind of shifted with the HRT to a lady with a guitar who seems to be upset about something. And it's, and it's just usually some guy. <laughs> HRT, hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, yeah. But now we're listening to more people where the girl with the guitar is upset about another girl, often who has a guitar. Weird how that all changes, shifts. But yeah, no, assembling like the entire discography of a specific artist, especially an artist that I'd like two of their songs for, but... I could get all of it. I could have in it and you get B-sides and you get like uh, bootleg copies of uh, live recordings of somebody who has a, a tape recorder stuffed in their shirt. But you have to get all of it. You have to get all of it. And then luckily that became impossible <laughs> before too long. Um, and then I think also uh, puberty hit and I went, ooh, girls. So yeah, no, that was that was probably the weirdest one just because I wasn't even listening to the music. I was just collecting the things so I could check off the non-existent spreadsheet because I'm not that organized. I had one of those, but I did make a spreadsheet. I was super into Johnny Cash, who I still love, but it did become that where it's, I had to have a copy of every single they put out and every b-side they put out and uh, that johnny cash and he had a a, a backing uh, backing group and then it became i need multiple concert recordings right because each of those is different and he published books so i had to have his novel and then i had to have everything published about him and you know i had to track down these really um just of minimal importance and not very good snippets of content because they existed. And mm -hmm. if it existed, I had to have it. And I had a mm -hmm. Johnny Cash album purse that I carried around. Um, that was, you know, it just really for a while became almost my identity because it was all consuming. So, um, but I did have lots of spreadsheets. I had spreadsheets of all the songs and the albums and the, cause it's a lot to keep track of. There's a lot of Johnny Cash stuff that's been put out into the world. And so I did do spreadsheets to keep track of all of them for sure. Um, I think, of course, I guess people would say one hyperfixation that was weird cause it actually caused me to have to have surgery which I think doesn't always happen to people. Thank goodness. I got into Animal Crossing. On the Switch. On the Switch. Uh, at the New beginning. Horizons. Yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic. And also I had just switched jobs and they didn't have a lot for me to do. 
So I was, I didn't have a lot to do. So I was playing <laughs> Animal Crossing and then I got into another game. I can't remember what it was called. My time at Porsche. No, there was a game in between those two that oh. I beat. And then I got into my time at Porsche. And for my time at Porsche, I also had spreadsheets as well to track certain things. But I played the Switch so much. It, it was constant. It was like 20 hours a day. Uh, my thumb really started to hurt and I couldn't play anymore. That's what actually stopped me is I physically couldn't play anymore. But that thumb pain got worse and worse and lasted about a year. And they did a lot of physical therapy. They did a lot of injections. And finally, I had to have uh, surgery on my wrist to fix the damage that I had done by playing the switch in handheld mode for so long because my hands are little and you know it just it was physically I physically damaged my body playing video games and had to have a surgery to correct it so mm -hmm. they really can be and it's not like it started hurting immediately and I stopped playing video games I was playing in excruciating pain for a long time because the idea of not playing was unfair fathomable to me even though anything touching my thumb made me cry so I would just weep and play video games I mean haven't we all been there I mean you, so <laughs> sometimes all you can do in life is weep and play video games and you know <laughs> yeah but it's hard you know when you think about one of the reasons I got into doing what I am doing now with neurodiversity coaching is people having such a hard time at work if you are in a passion career, like video editing, for example, I know you like video editing. If you are video editing and it's a hyperfixation, that's amazing. But what about when you stop wanting to video edit and uh. your brain just can't do it? Anymore? But that's your job. That's really hard. So sometimes hyperfixations get in the way of people's employment because they can't do what they need to do. And then other times, um, you know, the the video, it's not that the video game is keeping you from being able to do your job because all you're playing is video games. It's that whatever it is that is part of your job becomes something that you cannot force your brain to let you do, even though you know it's important because and it's I just want I want I want to interrupt and say we are not exaggerating. When I say that, like, I cannot get my brain to do the thing. I right. know I need to be doing the thing. I know it on a million levels. If I don't do this thing, we aren't going to have enough money to pay the rent. And my brain just won't do the thing. It's just executive dysfunction all the way down. Because mm -hmm. executive function is basically your executive function is your brain's ability to complete a task, to start a task and execute it, whether Sit that's- down and do the thing. Whether it's flipping a light switch or writing a master's thesis that requires executive function. And sometimes when you know people can't get out of bed, it's because they don't have any executive function to even get out of bed and, and flip on that light switch. Uh, and so it it's one of the reasons why people look at neurodivergent people and say, oh, you're lazy or your priorities aren't straight or, oh, if you can play video games, you should be able to study because all they see is this person who is 
frozen, you know, and scrolling through their phone on the couch or, you know, playing a video game, they don't understand that you desperately want to be doing something else, but you, you can't. So that's how a lot of us get the lazy label and how we label ourselves that way. We label ourselves pathetic because we know, mm-hmm. you know, when hyperfixation is becoming bad, is becoming a problem, mm-hmm. right? Because you are missing deadlines or you're missing bills or you can't pay your bills or whatever it is, you know, when it is, you often know when it is becoming a problem. And the 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 lazy label not only is, you know, harmful and insulting and degrading, but it's also a false premise because the idea is like, oh, you're lazy. You just need to put more effort at this thing. It's like, well, this is a four ton block of stone. I can push on it as hard as I want. I can take steroids and work out and do everything I can do, but I can't move a four ton stone of a piece of stone. I just can't. It's not within my capability. And putting it as like an effort thing or a laziness thing or a priorities thing is completely missing the fact that it's a biochemical thing in my brain that some medication may help that, may fix that, but without actual treatment or actual like, you know, intervention or behavioral changes, which I can't do because I don't have the executive function, I can't do the thing. You know, what what needs to happen is I need to go learn how to use a crane and, you know, rent a crane. For, where, where would one rent a crane? Ooh, I should learn about cranes. No, no, I am not going to learn about cranes. We are doing a pot. Okay. Mm. I, I do not ever want you to know where you can get a crane. If I don't, I want to find a way to eliminate all crane stores from your Google listings. You should not have access to heavy machinery on that scale. Well, I know a guy. I could probably... Stop. No, that would require you to interface with other humans. And I know you're not going to do that willingly. So (laughs) are all hyperfixations a problem? Let me ask that. Are all hyperfixations a problem? Absolutely not. The concept in general, we present as problematic just because in the most extreme cases it is. Or it Um, can be. Or it can be, Uh, but not necessarily. I mean, um, hyperfixating on good nutrition would probably be pretty good for us. Uh, well, actually, no. Uh, eating too many salads is what started my gigantic gastrointestinal near-death experience thing. So, um, but so that's a bad example. But some hyperfixations are. It generally, I would say, when a client comes to see me and they're worried about hyperfixation, I I tend to talk talk to them to see is it interfering with things in your life? Is it causing problems? Is it causing you to miss work? Is it causing you to miss meals or not take care of yourself? Is it costing you money that you don't want to spend? Like, is it causing a problem in your life? If it isn't, then it's not necessarily bad to have these hyperfixations, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if they, they fall into your special interests. Um, You know, a lot of times they'll come back around and be something that you maybe come back to. So it's not necessarily a problem to have a hyperfixation unless it is causing problems in your life or in your relationships, then it becomes a problem. Have you ever successfully overcome a hyperfixation that was a problem? And if so, how did you do that? I think 
to give the very classic answer that I, I imagine a goodly number of our audience will give, uh, World of Warcraft for a while there. Um, I mean, it was after I got the tattoo, but <laughs> uh, basically I just had to toddler gate myself. Um, How I, do you, you mean? Know, well, it's got parental controls built in. So I reached out to somebody and I was like, I need you to take the parental controls on this account and apply them to me so that I can only play this game between these hours and this hours. And then, you know, withhold it from myself of, did you do a shower today? Did you do your work today? Have you eaten? Until I had, you know, checked off those three or four things, I could not play. And I just had to white knuckle myself into just withholding it and then just leave it as like a reward. Mm -hmm. But you know, that, that, that had mixed mixed success on that Mm -hmm. because i know you finally stopped playing world of warcraft at some point what was the thing that made you walk away from wow well it's it it, the final nail in the coffin was finding out that blizzard was uh evil and (laughs) run by Mm -hmm. horrible people who did horrible things Mm -hmm. uh so i guess it internal screaming bleeding heart leftist uh ethics was enough to make me stop so sometimes there's an external force. Yeah, if somebody hits you with a stick hard enough every time you reach for the thing, you're going to stop reaching for the thing eventually. Yeah, it isn't necessarily a preferred method. We like nonviolence. I'm a pacifist. You know, we like nonviolence. But there can be an external thing, maybe that something that bothers you more or that you value more that comes along. Or most often, frankly, another hyperfixation comes along yeah. and takes its place. Uh, and so with most hyperfixations, if it is a true hyperfixation and not a special interest, which would be something that is kind of lifelong, um, with most hyperfixations, your brain will switch off at some point and it will switch Uh you to something else. Uh But if you need to have that happen sooner than, uh, you know, than it does naturally, then there certainly are, um, therapy techniques um dbt dialectal behavioral therapy i think is one thing that my therapist has done with me when i've needed to overcome a a hyperfixation Uh, some of the tactics that you talked about having an accountability buddy where you say Mm -hmm. okay person um you know here's the parental controls or if you see me doing this can you make sure i've done this first you know sometimes i'll say to you as my wife you know, honey, can you please make sure that uh, if you, if I am playing this game, can you make sure that I've taken a shower first? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you can use somebody else to help you, I think is a really good way. Because as you said, you know, you can white knuckle it by yourself, but doing things by ourselves for neurodivergent people is often really challenging. Mm-hmm. And not something that a lot of us would have kind of the available points in our in our heads to to accomplish. So you certainly can, and if you can, that is great for you. I cannot. Uh, I do not have that willpower, so I do use you for accountability often. But I think you know the um, you know the, the biggest thing for me is figuring out whether or not it's actually a problem, because a lot of times it isn't. It's just something where I find myself trapped in the, oh, adults don't do this. You know, adults don't sit and color for two hours. Yes, we do. 
But am I hurting anybody by coloring for two hours? No. Am I hurting myself? No. Are there other things that I need to be doing? No. It's kind of meditative, which is good. So first, figure out if it's really a problem in your life or you just feel guilty because somebody has given you the idea that you shouldn't be enjoying your life in this particular way. And then if it's a problem, you know, there are things that can tackle. I've got to plug coaching, of course. Neurodiversity coaching is really good for hyperfixations because most neurodiversity coaches are going to understand why you're doing the thing and that it is not something you can just stop doing. And it's not a question of understanding that you need to be doing homework or you need to be doing your job. It is actually a thing that your brain is trapped in and Mm -hmm. how to help. So uh, neurodiversity coaching, I think would be my preferred method of working through hyperfixations, accountability partners, you know, they can certainly be accountability partners, but um, that's something that I do a lot with my clients is help them work through stuff like this, because it's not your fault that you're, you're doing this. And it's not because you're bad or you're lazy or you're dumb or any of those awful things, it's because this is what your brain does. And sometimes you need help working around what, what your brain does. So I would say um, that that is, that's a good, a good method. If you do want to reach out for a free coaching consultation with me, you can reach out to me on my website at www.coachjessicamichaels.com. So that's coachjessicamichaels.com. You can reach out to me and find some cool videos and free resources there. If you uh, aren't able to do any of the paid stuff, that's totally fine. We got a lot of things that can that can help. And what else, Ellie? What else would be good for people to know as we wrap up here? Don't judge a book by its cover and don't judge a neurodivergent by their hyperfixations. <laughs> Yes. Don't judge a neurodivergent by their hyperfixations. I like that. I think that's probably a pretty good note to end on. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a delightful talk about uh, habits, why we don't have them, and hyperfixations, and why, why can't I stop playing the thing? Well, we'll be back next time to talk about more ways that our brains are jerks and probably some ways that they're actually pretty fun. So until next time, uh, I have been Ellie Michaels. And I have been Jessica Michaels. And we'll see you in the next one. Take care of each other out there. Bye.